Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Almost Famous. In the first series of the podcast, I spoke to guests who also grew up with famous family members and discussed how it had affected their journeys through life. In series two, I want to explore the subject of fame more directly by talking to people who've experienced it themselves and asking them how it has affected their own journey as well as the lives of those around them. My guest today is stand-up comedian, writer, former doctor and professional quizzer, Paul Sinha. Paul has been performing comedy for over two decades. He's taken eight solo shows to the Edinburgh Fringe and in 2006 he was nominated for the Main Comedy Award for his show Saint or Sinha. Paul has had his own series called Paul Sinha's History Revision on Radio 4 and has also appeared several times on their shows Just a Minute, The Now Show, The News Quiz and is a regular on Radio 5 Live's Fighting Talk. Paul has appeared on Dave's show Taskmaster and in 2011 he joined ITV quiz series The Chase where his nickname is The Cinnaman. In 2019 Paul won the British Quiz Championships and he has also placed 11th in the World Quizzing Championships. So I'd like to give a huge almost famous hello to Paul Sinha. Paul, how hello. are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Uh, thank you so much for coming. Before we get into the chat, I just need to give credit to where we record this podcast. It's uh, the Podcast Lounge at Factory Studios in central London. Their website is factoryuk.com. Do get in touch with them if you're looking for somewhere to record your podcast. I'm going to pretend that I haven't fucked that up nine times, but I have. Uh, Paul, thanks again for coming. First question, uh, what did you make of your intro? Did I miss anything out? No, far from it. That was very, very complete. Oh, I appreciate that because obviously trailing through uh, Wikipedia and your website to get the important stuff... Uh, is a very difficult task. Um, you said actually before we came on that you find the subject of fame quite fascinating, uh, which I assume is why you're here. What, what do you find fascinating about it? Well, I'm in a profession, stand-up comedy, where the nature of why people started stand-up comedy seems to have very much evolved or devolved, uh, depending on your point of view. Because I specifically remember when I started stand-up comic as an open spot... In perhaps it was just the clubs that I played in 1995, but nobody starting out seemed to have any ambition. They were doing it for their own reasons, uh, whether it's a creative curiosity, the uh, need to just have a dinner party story, the realization they were never ever ever going to be a stand-up comedian, but by lord they were going to try. Mm-hmm. Um, or it was a sort of like a gap year type bungee jump type thing where. They'd, you just wanted to say you'd done it. Yeah. But very few people, certainly that I gigged with in the first couple of years, seemed to be in comedy because one day they wanted to become a professional comedian. Yeah. So on the on the flip side of that, I started in 2007 and that was pretty much around the same time or maybe just a bit after as 
as suddenly straight stand-up comedy became popular again on TV. So live at the Apollo, stuff like that. Before 2007, when I'd been working in TV development, actually people would very often say, the commissioners would often say, you can't just put straight stand-up on TV. Nobody's yeah. interested. And I, I know that when I started and I did a course, one of the Amuse Moose courses that it, there'd definitely been a huge influx of people desperate to do it. And I wonder if the kind of correlation is there between they saw it being something you can suddenly make a TV career out of directly, maybe more easily and yeah. naively in their heads than, than it was back in the, the mid-90s. I can't honestly remember meeting anybody who seemed to be in it because they wanted to be famous. But would they admit that? I think you could pick it up. Mm. A, a decent character judge could pick it up. Mm. Um in my first year, I suppose the best new act that I saw was Jeannie Yashere. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she had total command of the stage, utter charisma, great jokes. And she didn't seem to be uh, particularly ambitious. I mean, she just wanted to make people laugh. Mm. And so ambition ambition, and fame seem to come almost at the beginning these days. Yeah. Whereas when I started, you have to be at least two or three years down the line and have some vague idea whether you're any good at it. Before you started thinking about ambition, and when you do, when you gig around now, and maybe you do any—I don't know how many gigs you do—where there are other kind of younger, newer, fresher comedians on the bill, do you look at them and you just see total drive and ambition to become famous, or, or in the majority, total drive and ambition? Yeah, I, it would be very remiss of me to say to put my take on what that ambition is because I'm not—I'm not Yoda. Um, but yeah, there's much more drive and ambition. Yeah. So I never got into comedy to become famous. The idea that you wanted to become famous seems utterly psychotic. What a, what a weird ambition to have mm. to walk down the street and people go. Psh, psh, psh. That's not what, surely that's not what anyone wants. You want to be good at something. Yeah. I never even went into comedy to make money. I just wanted to be good at. I just wanted to be good at it. Mm. That was it. Yeah, um, I mean, from I mean, it was obviously tempered by the fact that I was I was a professional doctor at the same time that I started out doing stand-up comedy, and so it, that's probably why it, it occurred to me that I was never going to be a comedian because my path had been set out for me that I was going to be a doctor. But really, fame? Mm. It, I still find it the oddest thing to crave. Yeah, and I think I think we're seeing. Something like what happened with to Sean Wallace, uh, Sean Wallace, Sean, Sean Walsh on yeah. um, Strictly, we're seeing the sort of backlash to that idea, and I'm part of that group who are very proud to admit that their template is Kitson, right? Daniel Kitson, yeah, yeah, sell as many tickets as possible, whilst being able to walk down any street in the world and not be recognised. Yeah, that for me is a far worthier ambition. Mm-hmm. So, question I always ask all of my guests, uh, and I think it's very relevant to what you're talking about now. Um, do you think you, Paul Sinha, are famous? Right. This is a question I get asked a lot, and the answer is there is no answer because it depends where I am. Um, we're quite near uh, Regent Street. Mm-hmm. I could walk down the length of Regent Street fifteen times and be confident that not one person would recognise me. If I'm in Liverpool and I walk into a pub, I know I'm going to get mobbed. It's different. It's different in different places. Why Liverpool particularly? I mean, I know you're using it as an example, but what 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 in a provincial city would? My my essential fame is that I appear on a tea time quiz show at five pm. Mm-hmm. ITV's target audience is the northwest of England more than any other region region of the country, and so I am the public school educated smug posh comedian who's really big 
in working class in working class communities, they watch me. Mm-hmm. You know, I if if I go to Rotherham or Liverpool or Barnsley, I'll be recognised. Okay, but in London, people barely watch TV. The nature, the way people watch TV, where most people in London watch it on Netflix or BBC iPlayer or, or whatever, that's not necessarily the case in provincial towns and cities. Mm. Where if they watch the chase, they're watching it at five PM with their family, as a communal thing. And you've already mentioned that you know you, I mean you've you've got so many fingers in different pies. It's really fascinating. But you've already mentioned that you didn't get into stand-up comedy to um, become famous in any way, and you and you bulk at that very heavily. Well, I didn't even get into stand-up comedy to be a stand-up comedian. Yeah, it never even occurred to me that one day I'd be professional. It still astonishes me now. I had no performance background. The only thing I had was an instinctive intuition that I could write a joke that's literally all I brought to my open spots what made you what made you think you could do that that you could make people laugh in I your... just wanted to know if I could right I, I wouldn't even go as far as say I I thought I could I just had no idea but I'd always been a big stand-up fan I'd always you know from the um, Ben Elton days of the 80s mm-hmm. and, and Saturday Night Live and Friday Night Live I always thought God, wouldn't it be great to stand at a mic and just be able to say whatever you liked and that's what drove me, not fame. No, but and, you, and then, I think that's one of the ironies is that fame introduces the idea that you can't stand at a mic, yeah, and, and, say, and say what you like. Yes, that's true. Actually, it blocks off a lot of your pathway and possibly adds some filters, which is the worst thing you can have as a stand-up. Um, but what I find ironic about this is, as someone who bulks quite heavily at the idea of ever having almost wanted any fame, you have now achieved fame, having not really wanted it. And how has so when it's when it came to you as a result? arguably, but probably realistically, from being on the chase, is that something that in any way you've struggled with or, or oh, you found God, difficult? Yeah, yeah so, so how um, does that manifest this itself? Actually, I mean, I ought to point out this this fame thing. I was famous for a day in 2006 because so I got nominated for the Edinburgh Comedy Award mm-hmm. uh, and there were photographs of me on the BBC website and all the, all the uh, major newspapers the following day. That was my first taste before the chase came along, mm-hmm. that was my first taste of what it was like, and I hated it. It was um, there were specific reasons why I hated it. One was that I went um, to tell the story of me coming out to my dad, and my dad didn't know that I was going to tell the story of me coming out to my dad. So I was basically outed to the Bengali community through the pages of national newspapers. Uh, something that my dad was pretty irate about and said I should have been given a warning. Didn't know. Mm. You don't go to the end of thinking you're going to be covered in every major, <laughs> any every major national mm. newspaper. But I just didn't like it. I didn't like my name. I instinctively just didn't like it. Uh, being on the pages, it just felt uncomfortable and intrusive, and made me feel sick and nauseous. Yeah. Uh, and that was pre-Twitter. And you're and you're you're so kind of. Um... You know, you're, you're so. What you're saying is basically, it never really even crossed your mind that you might do so well with your show. Yeah. That then, no. that then it might I actually mean, throw, become I'd a pain. I'd throw some money at it, but the idea was not to become famous, but to have a career in stand-up comedy. Mm. Um, I'd, I'd got a PR person, a big agent, a, ple- a room at a Pleasance. So I suppose I should have been aware that what I was trying to throw money at, the net result could make me well known. I was also aware in 2006 that there, there hadn't been a significantly non-camp uh, gay comedian at the Edinburgh Fringe who was getting attention. And I was also aware that there hadn't been a, 
a British Asian comedian whose show was predominantly not about race. Um, so I knew what I was doing. Hmm. But it was success, not fame, that I was craving. When I got nominated for the award, I just collapsed to my knees and wept because this was a tangible, tangible success. I didn't drop to my knees and weep because, I, oh, I could be in The Guardian. So you were on the BBC website. Yeah, yeah, I could be in The Guardian tomorrow. That wasn't, that wasn't yeah. why. It was because I'd been nominated for the Edinburgh Comedy Award. And that kind of illustrates the degree to which it's not fame. But that was one day in 2006. Mm. Then Twitter comes along and, ch and just ch it just changes the game. Yeah. Because you can feel famous. You've embraced, you've embraced Twitter. You're big on Twitter. I, I am big on Twitter. But, but Twitter can make you feel famous. If you, get, if you do a joke that uh, gets 200 likes... You feel like a king. Yeah. And so so everyone becomes more self-important and aware that their output has consequences and that one day with a following wind and, and, a, and uh, a bit of luck, you could be the talk of the town with that little pun you did that Emma Kennedy retweeted. <laughs> um, the dream, the Twitter dream. The Twitter dream. <laughs> uh, and so you become acutely aware of the changing nature of fame. Uh, but even then, in 2011... March, April, I can't remember which month. I think it might be March. I was in a hotel in Liverpool and my agent rang me to say, the chaser said yes. You're on the chase. So what did you have to do? You had to you have to do some auditions? How did that yeah. work? I mean, I, I, I just want to preempt this by saying the chase is my fucking favourite show. I would love to go on the chase. I can't because I used to work in TV. I've tried oh, to apply before. Okay, right. But I love it. I think it's so brilliant. So, well, by this stage, I'd been in quiz. Yeah. Uh, for a couple of years, I'd been doing tournaments and serious tournaments. Uh, and in 2011, there were three chasers on the chase, uh, Mark, Alan, Sean. Mm -hmm. And they were told in no uncertain terms by ITV, uh, we're going to have another chaser. They were obviously disappointed. We're always disappointed when someone gets added on. It dilutes the product. Less, less screen time? Less screen time, dilutes the product. Mm. Um, but they said, have you got any recommendations? And they all said me, because I'd taken part in a quiz against them, a buzzer quiz the year before and it played particularly well. And Mark sent me a message on Facebook going, we've recommended you for the chase. And I just had that moment ago, oh, yes. I mean, I'd never applied for jobs. I just hadn't bothered applying for jobs for so long. Mm -hmm. I'd forgotten what it was like to listen to a job offer and go, this could be me. I actually think I might be the right person for the job. Um, I was, by this stage, I was in the top 20 in the country. And I'd beaten Anne and Mark in a few tournaments here and there. I knew that I was good enough to be a chaser in terms of my general knowledge. Mm. So I emailed them, um, which even now just strikes me so unlike me to take the initiative. But I think it's indicative of how much I love quizzing. Yeah. They invited me on audition. Didn't go very well. They invited me on another audition. Why do you think it didn't go well in the first place? Everything's one? fake in an audition. Yeah, all the players have... They love to think that they're recreating the game. Mm. But when you've got members of staff pretending to be contestants... Yeah, standards, yeah. Standards. And it was only when they got former players to, to be the contestants that I started relaxing into it and doing jokes here, there and everywhere. And I just remember the second audition going blindingly well and me thinking to myself, I might be into this shower here. Mm. And I was, as it turned out. So it was either March or April 2011 that Sally ran me up and said, you're going to be on the chase. And my first thought was not, I'm going to be famous. Mm. My first thought was, I'm going to get to quiz regularly on TV. 
wasn't fame. I didn't even know if there would be any. I mean, you don't really know for sure whether there there's going to be any fame. Had you been a regular watcher of the chase before? Not regular, but I've seen it. Yeah. So you knew that. You knew that. You know, it obviously was popular enough that it got recommissioned over and yeah. over again, and that it had a following. And you know, you're a smart man. You will have you you will have known that there will have been. But we're four million at the moment, and that was back then. It was about one point six. Okay. So the show has evolved. Mm. In between Saint or Sinner and getting the chase, uh, there were one or two moments. Uh, I appeared on a Radio Two interview with the deputy leader of the British National Party, Simon Darby. I had a row. Well, I had a row. Jim Davison had a row with me, mm. where he called me an Asian puff. Oh, I remember yeah. that vaguely. What was that on? Uh, his blog. Oh, so oh, right. So he just called yeah. you out. Yeah. Well, I hadn't even done anything. He's apologised since. He called me out mysteriously, really. In that we'd actually had a very pleasant conversation. Like he what? Like he went through the, he the, turned the up phone the, book of, he, he of gay he, Asians. Well, no, he turned up to the comedy store to watch The Cutting Edge. Right. Sat there and thoroughly enjoyed it and realised when he got back home after a few drinks, that couldn't be the narrative. And so he created an, another narrative that more fitted his brand and his fan base. Okay. And he has apologised. To, to his credit, he's apologised since. Uh, so, there, you know, I think I was in India at the time. I actually believe I might have said the C word on television um, because I was interviewed by somebody on TV. Alan Yentov was doing a thing on the history of comedy uh, and we were discussing it and Jim Davison had called us collectively jealous socialist C-U-N-T-S. Yeah, cunts, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying that word out loud. No, but you've, you've, got, you've, got, you've I, got a brand to protect, I don't. I, I directly quoted him in the interview. Yeah. And so I think over Christmas in 2011, I may have appeared on the TV actually using this. I don't know because I've never seen it. So it's not that I was unknown before doing And I think it's just possible as well that I might have done one of Stuart Lee's TV shows, I think. Mm. Um, so I, I wasn't an unknown, but this yeah. just changed everything. But it took a while, for about six months... Nothing really changed. And then after a while, you'd start becoming... And the, the, it's just so weird how your life changes, but this thing with Fanny Schmeller... Yes. That, for, cha that changed all of our lives. For people at home who don't know about the Fanny Schmeller clip, basically um, there was a question uh, on the chase um, that was about... She was a skier, wasn't she? That's a German a, skier. A German yeah. skier, and the three options were something, something, or Fanny Schmeller. And Bradley Walsh, who presents the chase, just pissed himself laughing. And and I, uh, and I it went viral. Yeah. And, and do do seek it out if you haven't watched it. I'm sure you will have done. Everyone has. But it's, tell us exactly how it changed things, because actually I can kind of... I've never thought about how it must have really helped the show. But actually, one of the best things about the show is Bradley's... Well, all of Bradley's stuff, but his inability to to hold back on moments like that yeah. when he's really feeling it. Well, it was our David Brent doing a dance moment mm. in that people who'd never watched the show finally became aware of the show. And I always think, I always think that that dance, you know, really good, well-observed, quietly confident sitcom mm. becomes a national phenomenon because Bradley does a dance. Yeah. Uh, Bradley, sorry, Ricky Gervais does a dance, yeah. and that was our, that was our David Brent moment, uh, because suddenly we were on the, in national newspapers, we were all over the internet. Bradley corpses watched this moment of viral telly, 
and suddenly the entire nation seems to know what the chase is. Um, but I wouldn't say that it it changed my life suddenly. It just it just put the chase in the public eye, and therefore made us a more a powerful program in negotiate when it comes to negotiating sure. deals and offers. But it didn't really change my life directly, just mm -hmm. indirectly. And um, I kind of alluded, I mentioned it briefly before. In terms of um, uh, in terms of uh, any positive or overly positive or overly negative ways in which being in the public eye has affected you, in terms of mental health, stuff like that? I don't even know where you'd start. It's mm. so relentless. Um, and it's not what I bought into. I mean, I choose to buy into it because I know what it's there now and I, I don't leave the chase, I carry on. Um, there are moments when I find fame exhilarating. Um, Such as? When funny things happen mm -hmm. that you can talk to on stage, then it's exhilarating. Uh, I, I overheard, I was once on a bus when this guy just stopped and went, you're the guy off the chase. And the schoolgirl, a bunch of schoolgirls, went, no, he's not. The guy on the chase is way fatter than this guy. <laughs> this actually is happening on a bus Brilliant. in South London. Uh, when it gives you material, basically. When it, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. when, it, when it gives you material. When you feel, it's really cheesy, but when it, when it turns out you've been an inspiration to someone, you can't not like that. But I think the biggest thing for me with the chase is that I get into bars and nightclubs now. Um, and it's a really, and you didn't before. It's just easier now. Before I was an over overweight, shoddily, shoddily dressed, forty, 40 you know, man in his forties. Now I'm an overweight, shoddily dressed man in his forties in a nightclub who, who's who's be let in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there are some. There are. I, I will admit, hand on heart, because this is all about honesty. Mm -hmm. That there are bars and nightclubs that I go to because I know I'm going to get mobbed. But at the same time. There'll be bars and nightclubs I don't go to because I know I'm going to get mobbed. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a subtle thing where you want to have the agency to make your own decisions. Yeah. So, uh, and there are, you know there are times when you just can't deal with any of it, and there are times when you embrace all of it. Yeah. So you're openly not saying that you know even though you you've never chased fa chased fame. Excuse the pun. You've never chased fame actively getting into stand-up or getting into quizzing, but it's come about. But now there are definitely elements of it that you like the trappings of. Uh, particularly the drinking. I've, <laughs> devel I've, I've developed a real genuine love and joy of drinking with strangers. Well, this kind of happened because of something that made the news in 2017. Made the news. So yeah. uh, in 2017, me and my current husband, Oliver, <laughs> current well, husband well he wasn't my husband then <laughs> yeah. so he was just my boyfriend then not just the one before your next husband <laughs> no. uh, we, we went we did a gig at Birmingham University next thing we know we're in um, Nightingale's gay nightclub when some students who'd been at the gig asked us if we, we were fancied going to their house party this is the sort of thing that I love about being famous meeting new people and getting pissed with new people we went to the house party a couple of photos were taken, put on the internet. And then the next thing you know, Cinnamon spectacularly finishes dry January <laughs> by getting smashed with students at the student house. It's your Bill Murray moment. Uh, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was weird because nothing happened. 
Did anyone complain about my behaviour? Well, no, you no. drank you drank alcohol, so that's yeah. why they had to go with the dry January. But um, when we got married in December, so we would six months later on my birthday, me and Ollie went to Birmingham again, got a suite at the Malmaison, and invited six of the students to come and join us. Amazing to get pissed, and they told us that the tabloids had been pestering them for two weeks, trying to get a story. Um, so trying to find an angle rather yeah. than they've heard the truth, it's too boring. Yeah, let's yeah. try and find an angle out of it. And it's when you hear that that you can go because I've never thought I've never thought of myself as famous, and in many ways I still don't think of myself as famous because I don't consider myself famous, uh, and because ninety percent of my life is spent in London, where I'm definitively not famous. So it doesn't occur to me that I'm famous, and when people recognise me. I'm still surprised hmm. because, I, because I'm, I'm poor at that sort of identification of visual process. I couldn't do it myself. If Hugh Grant walked past me on a street, I don't think I'd recognise that was Hugh Grant. So when I put my glasses and my hood up and I still get recognised, hmm. I'm like, who are you? How did you develop these superpowers to, to not only spot me but be so confident that you spotted me? That you started a conversation with me, f without any doubt that that that's who I am. Yeah. Um, so but also, I'm amazed at that because you have such a distinctive look on the chase, like in your suit and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised that people would spot you as well. Actually, when you I, I, I find it weird. But what I am is famous in certain places. What's quite you know, that's quite clear. I'm famous amongst students because students want to chase. I'm famous amongst pensioners because pensioners want to chase. Uh, I'm not famous amongst um, a large swathe of go-getting, late, late-working, uh, highly successful professionals who would never even dream of watching a TV show until it was at least eight, nine o'clock in the evening. Yeah, I'm not famous. Whenever I see a doctor or a lawyer on the chase, I'm like, what are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> at which point in your day must did be you... Quizzes. At which point in your day did you find time <laughs> to, to watch this show? Um, I'm interested uh, as to a, a couple of things actually from what you've said. Um, you talked about the the headline from the student party. That sound that does sound like a great story. And, and if I was famous, I'd love to do. I'd use that for similar reasons. Is that your only experience of um, the tabloids trying to dig up lies and stuff and tell lies about you? Or have you had no. to deal with that a lot of times? No, it's just a nightmare. Um... I, it would appear, I'm reliably informed that tabloids know that people read stories about the chase. And therefore, they write stories about the chase. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, where, where, you know, I've done radio interviews where I've not watched what I said. So I did a radio interview to, to promote a pantomime in York that I was in, mm -hmm. December 2016. Uh, and they said something along the lines of, and Bradley's album's out. Yeah. Um, I just said, what, instead of being polite, I just said what was on my mind, which was so, so quite withering and rude, but it wasn't really meant to be. It's just you lose your guard. I said something along the lines of, I can't really understand the mentality of anyone that would buy the album, but fair play to him. Yeah. He's a proper triple threat. So that yeah. was because it's not well, it's my a joke. I mean, yeah. a piss take if anything. Um, that got to the papers. Cinnamon slams uh, Chase presented an album, and it was horrible. Um, Did you have to have a conversation with Bradley about it? 
I have had a conversation with Bradley about six months after it happened. Um, was he okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he must. Know, I mean, famous there was, there, people there must was, know how it works. There was, more a, than there was else. a bit of banter between us on the show, and he suddenly went, "Oh yeah, you didn't like it, did you?" <laughs> and I'm like, "That's not what I said." Um, <laughs> how would I know if I liked it? I I can't understand anyone well, who would buy it. And it was that, that realization that you just have to be cagey. Hmm. Uh, and then um, there was the right. Shall we do this? Shall we do this? Shall we do this? There was the Andy West incident. I don't know if you know Andy West. He's a gay journalist who works on the Jer- used to work on the Jeremy Vine show, no. uh, and uh, now works on the Jeremy Vine's uh, Channel Five show. Uh, and he runs a website called Guys Like You, which is like an, a gay magazine show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he wanted to interview me after I I was chased out of the closet. I'd mentioned my sexuality on the chase, therefore, with Chase fans, I was now out of the closet. Mm-hmm. That was, uh, and I said, he asked me what my favourite quiz show was. And I said, University Challenge. And he said, why? And I said, because it doesn't patronise its viewers by asking easy questions. It knows that it's okay to watch a quiz show that you don't know the answer to, as long as that quiz show is entertaining enough. I then said, misguidedly, because you don't always choose your words carefully. Um, for instance, a lot of, this is my, my words, something along the words, lines of, a lot of the, Chase fan base aren't that bright, but it doesn't stop them enjoying the show uh, because of the dynamic of the show and the entertainment value of the speed of the questions and Bradley. That was all I said. Mm-hmm. He sold, he sold it to the tabloids, and the next thing I know, I'm in all sorts of shit. Because so you're doing that for sorry for his website for his for his uh, YouTube channel for his YouTube channel, and it's uh, he's, you think he sold it rather than it was just picked up on. I mean. Pretty much, pretty because sure. no one because, would be watching it otherwise. Is that it was, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I was, I was just like, good lord, this is. I had no idea I could possibly be double crossed in in such a way. It hadn't even occurred to me. Mm. It, life is simpler now. Um, in that, I just won't deal with the tabloids mm. because we've had some of. Uh, our guests picked on so we had Ryan Giggs's brother come on oh yeah and he talked about so the first series was about people who are related to famous people and he talked open very openly and honestly actually about Ryan Giggs having an affair with his wife for eight and a half years now I didn't sell that story to the tabloids but they found it and picked up on it and it was on you know quite a lot of the I mean oh, the right. digital tabloid press do you know what I mean it didn't make yeah, the yeah, actual yeah. tabloids um, so I don't but, know did you have a conversation with him where he openly admitted I mean I don't know why no, I'm getting no I, I blocked him yeah uh, because I just didn't want to because um, I just want you know the strides and effect the more you know the more you draw attention exactly, to something yeah. the worse it gets it for oxygen. you um, I wonder if so So what I'm interested in now is when stuff like that happened that example and the, um, the the comment about Bradley's album do you then have to speak to the producers of The Chase and, and do they do they have words with you about stuff like that yeah and they're very nice they're very good because they're experienced human beings that know that we're inexperienced at the game. Mm. We're, we're not ex- experienced telly people. And sometimes we get it wrong. And there's, there's a great deal of understanding. Um, but everything's clarified in my head because of the Parkinson's thing. Mm. Because with the Parkinson's thing, when I um, did my blog to say that I had Parkinson's, everybody wanted a piece of me. Well, I say everybody, not the big papers and not the, uh, not, not, the not the broadsheets, not the broadsheets. Yeah. But um, and 
we were just going through each one on turn and we just thought, just can't do it. Um, the Sun, I'm a Liverpool football fan. Yeah, of course. Just can't touch them at all. The Mirror, they were the ones that tried to do me over with the University Challenge story. Uh, the Daily Mail, for political reasons, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. And the Daily Express, I wouldn't touch with a barge pole because they are the clickbait kings, by which I mean they run a story online about the chase every day. Mm. It used to be funny, but when your life has changed and you just want some peace and quiet, uh, and you're reading a story in the Daily Express, which has come up on your timeline, that starts chase fans in turmoil as Cineman does this. And you have to take time out of your day to find out that you'd said that you can't make an omelette. And that <laughs> is literally the basis of a entire story. Mm. Um, and with the Parkinson's Diners, I'm now in the tabloid, the, the, the bad pages, of the, t- the bad bits of the tabloid online more often than before. Uh, because you didn't agree to do stories with them, no, no. Think, because or? I'm now more because because I'm now more well known mm. because I'm the guy who's got Parkinson's. Yeah, uh, and I did a blog after Ben Stokes hit a match-winning century against uh, Australia in the Ashes in the summer about how I'd gone through a period of uh, not really enjoying sport, and that, that I'm now using that as a therapy as as a form of therapy. And it was reported as Cineman talks candidly about his depressed, depressive illness. I was like, I'm not depressed. Wow. Don't call me depressed. That's yeah. my call. Yeah. I, and I, how dare uh, people start calling me? And, it, and to be fair, I think people did change their headlines. But I'm one of the people, and there's not, there's not many of them, most people just try and ignore what's said about them online. If I think they've gone way too far, I will say so. I realise that some poor sap on the Daily Express has been given the job of finding a story from somewhere about that day's episode of The Chase. Mm. Nonetheless, that poor sap should be aware that one of the chases has got a defining degenerative neurological disease. So just don't lie. It's yeah. not ask, It's not asking too much to just go, don't lie. Yeah. Don't, whatever it is you want to say, let it actually be the truth. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. 
If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah. Um, I, I want to just... So, um, I want to talk more about how your, your being in the public eye has affected your decisions made about how to uh, opening up about your Parkinson's diagnosis. I always wonder, based on what you said uh, about the tabloid specifically, whether there's any um, difficulty for you in that knowing that actually you've kind of got an opportunity because of who you are and how you know you have a uh, an audience, whether you feel you have an opportunity to, um, you know, educate people about Parkinson's and actually the quickest way to do that would be to uh, to to get in with the tabloids a little bit and use that. No. Is that a different, I mean, was there ever a difficult? No. Not at all? No, it's not my job to educate the public well. It's my choice to do what I like to help the situation. Mm-hmm. Just because I'm on the chase doesn't mean I'm the go-to person for Parkinson's. Mm. The go-to person for Parkinson's is a consultant neurologist. Yeah, but arguably, arguably that's why the tabloids did try and get to you so quickly because they are looking for someone famous to be that face yeah, because that, they know that appeals that, that, to their audience. Yeah, and I, and to which I would say, no, go mm. go go away. Mm. I don't trust you to do. The, yeah, given given the one of the papers produced uh, hand drawn pictures of brains with sparks, sparks <laughs> oh flying out of the brains. <laughs> uh, I don't trust you to deal with it properly. Yeah, um, I agree that just because I think you're a rancid, nasty, horrific newspaper, doesn't mean you can't deal with it properly. Yeah, but. Um, in order, I turn on the Sun, the Star, the Mirror, the Express, the Mail. I have a deep-seated loathing of the tabloid press that puts fire in my belly uh, and makes me write good comedy. I mean, you know, one of the bits I enjoy my Tommy Shredder is the bit where I explain everyone that I turned down for an interview. Mm. I did Lorraine because she's nice uh, and she's sane and she's rational. However, I didn't know who Dan Wilson was. And if I'd known that he was still working there, I wouldn't have done Lorraine. He's, I don't believe he's still working there now. Mm. Uh, but if I'd known I th- that uh, um, he was one of, one of her special assistant type people, I wouldn't have done Lorraine. I'm not, I'm not working on a TV show that Dan Wilson's part of. Yeah. I, I can, I, I, you know, it's not like, it's not like you're losing money. Is it, you, you can come, you can come across as being moral and ethically right and honest. But actually, I wasn't even going to be paid money anyway. I'm right. just, you know, I don't I don't think it makes me a better person. It's just I want to have some decisions in my life where I have some control over. Yeah. Uh, do, and, sorry to interrupt. Do um, So do, presumably, there's an ITV PR department who, because of your role on The Chase, have they tried to ever, not just in terms of your... Um, talking to people about Parkinson's, but in terms of even your comedy, have they ever said to you, no. don't say this, don't say that? No, no. They can't do that because you, you're... Well, I've got, I've got a contract 
Yeah. I've read my contract. I know what I'm allowed to say and I know what I'm not allowed to say. I stick to the contract. Right. Um, and, you know, I'm going to say things now uh, and I'm not going to use any proper nouns. But in June, I was on a show and on that show was somebody that I loathed so much that I wrote routines about it. The people who represent this person that I loathe so much got in contact um, to ask us not to. And when we pointed out that we hadn't actually said any untruths, mm. either just opinions or truths, uh, we think they may have tried to send a, someone to do a hatchet job on my comedy because bizarrely... The tabloids were reporting the exact words, not inaccurately, of things I'd said on stage in front of an audience of about 50 people in a small gig in Forest Hill. Right. Uh, and that's when I realised there's just no point in being nice, nice to these people. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm at the start of a long journey of neurological degeneration. I'm not going to spend that life getting unhappy about making compromises. And talking to people that I loathe, hmm. um, you just got to go. You're not my people. I don't want anything to do with you. Uh, and in Edinburgh this year, I had I've got a PR for the first time since 2007 because mm -hmm. I want to sell tickets. And that PR knows that I will not talk to the Sun, the Mirror, the Mail, the Express, or the Star. Yeah. So it's not a political thing, as such. I've included the Mirror in that mm -hmm. to make sure that nobody thinks this is a political boycott. Um, and it's not a Murdoch thing, because I will talk to the Times. Despite the fact that they're owned by Rupert Murdoch, I will talk to them. It's the specific way that those five newspapers practice that means that I don't want anything to do with them in my life. Yeah. Do you think there's ever any chance for that to change? Not not for you to talk to them, but I mean in terms of how those tabloids practice. It's a general question. No, but no. Because, did, because if, it sells the papers, it's it never going to change. If it didn't change after Millie Dow, it's not going to... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird that, you know, there seems to be a gentle backlash in, in the light of the tragic death of Caroline Flack uh, that I hope becomes... But the the sea change against the tabloids that I was hoping would happen after the Millie Dell after thing in 2011, and Leveson yeah. seems to have petered out. Uh, and I find it, you know... Well, and it goes the other way now because, uh, you know, back to our old friend Piers Morgan, just abuses people like Steve Coogan and Hugh Grant any time yeah. that they put their head above the parapet and, and openly talk about how terrible the press are still. Yeah. So, yeah, I've, I I know what it's like. I never thought that I'd be under scrutiny. Mm -hmm. hasn't hasn't occurred, just hadn't occurred to me. Uh, and every time I've been under scrutiny on the tabloids, it's been a deeply unpleasant, it's been a deeply unpleasant situation. And it reminds you that you never went in it for fame. Mm. The Kitson, the Kitson programme is the one that I'd like. Um, I would like to sell tickets in without worry that I'm not going to sell out because it's back on the basis of a reputation for being a great live comedian. Mm. I don't want to sell tickets because I want telly. But I'm somebody who sells tickets because I want telly. Is is that how you fit, is that a realistic version of how you sell tickets now? You, oh god, yeah. Yeah. Um I <laughs> I, I, my current show at the moment, I talk, I, I throw, I throw everything at it. It's, it's everything that happened in the last two years: getting married, getting Parkinson's, uh, this, that, and the other. And uh, 
it's got songs just because I can. Um, it's got everything. And then at the end, people will come up to you and go, I love you on the chase. And it breaks your heart. It genuinely breaks your heart that someone could watch you for an hour and a quarter talking about the prospects, the bleak prospects for the rest of your life and do it in a very no-nonsense, bold and attempted to be funny way. And that's what you've got to say at the end of the show. I love you on the chase. Yeah, The chase is just, a t the chase is just all right, it's the most culturally significant and financially significant part of my life. But it's just part of my life. Yeah. So difficult question. Would you rather that be an empty seat? Then? No. I'm not going to be disingenuous. I like being famous. Mm. I never wanted to be famous. But overall, when weighing, you know, when weighing the pros and cons, um, there's a glint in my dad's eye when anyone recognises me. My, my dad, uh, my parents have embraced my life decisions so much more positively since I started being on the telly. I was um, some amazing nights out with with amazing people that wouldn't have happened if I wasn't famous. Um, I mean, just just talking about your parents, that's really interesting. And, and obviously, earlier on, you talked about how your dad was irate because <laughs> because of what happened in two thousand and six, because of the the brief yeah. moment of fame you had there. Um, because this podcast uh, is called Almost Famous, and the first series as I mentioned was about. Um, family of famous people can you expand a little more on how it's affected your family uh, so that sounds like a really positive way has there my, been any my negatives mom and as dad well? love it they absolutely love it uh they just is that a surprise to you like, i mean you wouldn't have thought about it much as you were a kid but is it a surprise to you that your parents would care about the fame element of of something i think that those are the simplistic terms into how they judge how my comedy's going is um is he on the telly and ironically, I'm not really on the telly doing comedy, but I am on the telly, so that's fine. That's enough. Um, so is that yeah. a status thing? Do you think, in terms of yes. them being able and and them being able to tell their friend, you know, tell their friends and be proud? Good lord, yes. Um, <laughs> it is. It, it is very much. Good lord, yes. It's very much a status <laughs> thing, but but it's 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 fine. Um, there's there, I mean, there is a coda to this. You're asking me about fame. You asked me if I consider myself to be famous. And there is a place where I'm famous. And that's New Zealand. So last year, I went to New Zealand for a month. May last year. And for a month, I was A-list. And it was very interesting to see what that was like. Because? Their main TV show has the chase twice a day. And, and the main channel. Their main channel. Their yeah. main TV channel yeah. has the British chase twice a day and everybody watches it. Um, it is and, brilliant. And so we come to the most extraordinary and odd thing that's probably ever happened to me from not realising how famous I was. In the last week of uh, my trip to New Zealand, um, I've become aware of a right-wing conservative politician in New Zealand. Or not politician, a sort of self-appointed spiritual leader right. called Brian Tamaki. And would you believe this self-appointed spiritual leader has got a lot of track record for saying that gay people cause earthquakes, etc., etc., etc. A direct link from gay people to earthquakes, you say? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so it wasn't even a tweet about him, it was a tweet about me. I tweeted in the last week, 
can't believe I've nearly finished and I've only just found out who Brian Tamaki is. Right. Start, finish, gentle, mild joke. Two days later, <laughs> I'm getting a, I'm in a minibus going from uh, Auckland Airport back to a hotel in Auckland. And a minibus has a little machine with a rolling news service. And while I'm sat there in a minibus, the screen says, The Chaser's Cinnamon takes swipe at Brian Tamaki. <laughs> I'm looking at a news story about a tweet that I've just done while in a minibus. That's Not, hilarious. And when I got back to the hotel, the guy at the, uh, the, guy at the desk just went, I see you've been having a swipe at Brian Tamaki. And I'm like... It's, it's, so it's worse in New Zealand. In, because in New Zealand, I'm A-list, and I don't realise I'm A-list, so I, twist this, I tweet the same stuff yeah. that I'd tweet here. Only in Z New Zealand, it's a news story. When New Zealand knocked um, India out of the Cricket World Cup in the summer, I tweeted as a joke, <laughs> uh, my next show is going to be called Could You Not Have Stuck to Rugby, You <laughs> Overachieving Twats. Uh, which is clearly a joke about the bitterness of an Indian cricket fan. It's not about anything else. That story made the that tweet made the national news yeah. in New Zealand. I'm getting complete strangers either applauding me because they got the joke, or having a go at me because they didn't get the, where the joke was mm. coming from. And, I'm not, and so I'm going back to New Zealand in May, forewarned, forearmed, and I'm going to really. Uh, I mean. <laughs> There was, there, was just, there was just so much going on. We were on a bus tour of South Island. At one point, we stopped to see some mountains. Uh, and we were about 100 yards from the bus when I heard the bus driver turn to his mate and say, I think he must have been recording in Australia or something. And I just wanted to turn around and go, I, can, I can't hear you. Yeah. I, and it was, it was, I got free meals, free drinks, uh, an offer of a free heli an offer of a free helicopter ride. Yeah, I was going to say, are you going back there to do like public appearances and open open like supermarkets and stuff. Why not? Get get that money um, in while you can. But it wasn't. It was funny. Yeah. But it was never stressful. Right. Uh, in it, it was never toxic. Right. That's the, the difference. In, in the way that it can be here. Um. And you know, I did a gala at the beginning of the, of the run on telly. And one of the newspaper reviews read, next for the rock star of the evening, the chaser's Paul Sinha. Oh, what the fuck are you talking about? Nobody <laughs> knows who I am in Britain. Well, very few people know who I am in Britain. And you're calling me the rock star of the evening? Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was just odd. But it was, it was a really, you just got to go, you're here. Embrace, enjoy, just soak it all in. Yeah. And, you know, although being sort of famous is stressful at the best times, and I will not, I will not have, you know, three days before my wedding, Jenny Ryan on the chasers told me that uh, the tabloid has been sniffing around asking her about details of my wedding. Right. We, we, we went to this lunch, this sort of showbiz lunch, and this journalist just came up to me and said, would you like to talk to us about your forthcoming wedding? And I was like, who are you? And she went, the Daily Mail. And I said, nope. Um, because I don't, I don't consider you know. I I list when I got engaged in January last year. La, uh, uni lad, lad Bible's uh, cousin, mm. ran a story about my, my engagement, and uh, 
3,600 people replied. And I read out some of those on stage. And my favourite one is Len Selden Senior, who just said, I have no idea who this is. <laughs> and that just sums it up. Yeah. There, are, there are people that genuinely seem to live their life through me. And there are people who have no idea who I am. But interestingly, we'll still comment on a video they've yeah, seen of you. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this a few uh, with a few of our guests, is that um, just the amount of opportunity for people to be in the public eye is so much greater now than it was saying you know the 80s or the 90s because there are so you know so many more channels so many digital channels all yeah. of this stuff and what it's actually done is just given so much oxygen to the tabloid press or the the mass media to just no longer have to sniff around to pay people for stories just no. pick up I mean, Twitter's a perfect example. You're on Twitter. You enjoy Twitter, obviously. Um, I'm sure there are lots of negative parts to it as well. But, you know, like you said, there are literally just, you know, social media nodes at these papers going through celebrities' tweets to try and purposely um, use them out of context. Yeah. As headlines. And, you know, does it never, does it, has it ever made you just think, I should just give up on social media completely because it's Sometimes. been used against and I me? I realise, why should I be the one to give up? No, it's right. That's true. Why should I give up? I produce good content. I produce good jokes. I don't slag people. I'm, I'm, I'm relatively polite. If someone slags me off, I will gently tear them apart as opposed to angrily mm. tear them apart. I, my conduct is good. My output is good. Yep. Um, I don't have a go at people just because their political opinion is different to mine. Um, and as a comedian, what, it, gives you, it gives you instant knowledge as to whether something yeah. works or not. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's uh, caused an unrefining of the national beha behaviour standards. I think Twitter has made everyone's opinion valid. And it's like, sometimes I tweeted a joke the other day that went really, really well. And someone tweeted, I think you should stick to quizzing, mate. Mm. And I'm like, I don't even know where to start with that self regard. Yeah. It's like, what do you mean? Um, I shouldn't do the, the uh, profession that I did for 10 years before I started quizzing. Yeah. Um, just because out of 1,200 people that like that joke, you didn't. Yeah. I mean, I, I often say to people who've got an opinion outside of the norm, do you ever wonder what the statistical likelihood is that you are the one? That you are <laughs> you, you are Keanu Reeves from The Matrix, <laughs> the only person who can see the light. Uh, this light that Maybe we all think that at times. Yeah. Though. That you're, none, none of your clever friends, you know, the ones that... Uh, <laughs> doing very well with their lives and have made good decisions all their life. None of them can see the lights. You. Yeah. It seems unlikely, but I think everyone, uh, those, definitely those um, Twitter trolls do feel like that. They definitely feel like they've seen something that no one else has. That's a really good point. Just one more thing on your or Parkinson's. It's been a really, I've really enjoyed this chat um, so much, Paul. But uh, after this, I need to get into some uh, very quick, pithy, shorter uh, yeah, yeah. questions and then we'll just, we'll just end it. But I, I'm really interested to know whether you felt any pressure to speak publicly about um, your Parkinson's diagnosis. And and the thing that intrigues me the most about it is, in my head, potentially if it were me, I would worry about my role on the chase okay. by being open about it. I wondered what, what led you to well, be so open about it. It was I was always going to be open. So um, May the 30th, Thursday, was diagnosed. I'd already decided, because my next appointment was in two weeks' time, that the day after that two weeks, when I had a chase record in the morning and a chase record in the afternoon, that I'd write the blog in between. Um, it, now, the main reason 
I decided it had to be done was Taskmaster. Because by the time people saw me limping around and having an injured shoulder on Taskmaster, I'd started getting messages from strangers going, do you not think you've got Parkinson's, mate? Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, and so I wanted to take away their power and just and, and put everything put everything in my hands. Yeah, and not, own it, yeah. Uh, own it. But also, I was just aware of what you said about, um, were you not worried about your job on the chase? Um, my best way of showing that I'm good enough to be on the chase is to be up, is to be up front and just be myself. Um, the chase is, will be fine. If I decline, I was always going to leave the chase anyway. If, because you know, the insurance that I would have to pay uh, would be out, through the roof. So I've always said, if I find there's any uh, decline in the way that I answer general knowledge questions, then I'm I'm gone. But the fact of the matter is, I'm the top ranked of the chases in the quiz rankings. My stats are fine. I'm the, I'm the you know, winning the British Quiz Championships two months after the diagnosis yeah. was like lu- lu- a ludicrous sort of proof. I'm fine, you know, and I'll, I will be. I, I'm pretty confident I'll be fine for a while. And that, given Bradley retiring and me having to retire, Bradley retiring is more likely to come. Bradley retiring is more likely to come first, mm. given how much how much work he's he's doing at the moment. Yeah. So there was no pressure. Um, my mum and dad, well, not my mum. She didn't say anything. My dad was like, "Why did you do that?" Now, one of the reasons I did that was selfish. If I become part of some the Parkinson's community, I'm more likely to hear about new medicines, new trials. Yeah, you, you know, I want to put myself in the middle of that community. Right. So part of it was selfish, and I explained to that. But I just thought I've got no choice. My job is to be in the pipe. You know, my job is now to be in the public eye. I can't just hide. I've got. To, I'm not doing this to be a hero. I'm doing this because I can't see any other option that I can do. This is my chance to be a hero. Mm. This is my, you know, that's not, that's not the reason I'm doing it. But the, the flip side of this disease is that I can, you know, be a really positive force and, and do something good for the world, which is, you know, which is great. Yeah. Um, my dad very much came round to the idea and he read my blog and he really liked my blog. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to be the person that only talks about Parkinson's. Sure, but I want what I want to prove more than anything else is that you can be functional in the world of entertainment with Parkinson's. Yeah, and my role model in this respect is a guy called Dave Clark, who's the yeah. anchor for darts on Sky mm-hmm. Sports, yeah. who I met in a pub in a little mysterious shady meeting, uh, <laughs> and. You know, he said... Sounds hot. <laughs> yeah. He said, put something in your diary that excites you. And the next thing I know, on my 50th birthday, I'm going to see the Pet Shop Boys at the O2, my favourite band of all time. And it's like, I wouldn't have got round to that if you hadn't said, put something in your diary. You know, these are really good pieces of advice. So by by being open, you allow positive forces to, to enter your world. You allow negative ones as well. But to be fair, with about three exceptions... I've not had any sick anti-Parkinson's abuse or jokes or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I noticed the other day that my Richard Herring, Richard Herring podcast, 
had like three dislikes, and I was like, "That's brilliant." Three. It used to be way. It used to be way more than that. <laughs> well, uh, it's worked in your favour. Yeah. Well, no, but it, it has. It's not going to work in my favour long run. I know that. <laughs> but it's made me write a you know a really creatively interesting and a show that I'm proud of. And even then, there are moments when on stage, and I, if I had to say what's, apart from the tabloid intrusion, for me, the most difficult thing about being famous, apart from that, is that I'm a stand-up comedian who's nowhere near stylistically what the first layer of people who know me think I'm going to be. Yeah. There is there is a dissonance between the chaser, the cinnamon, mm -hmm. and Paul Sinha, the comedian. There is a dissonance between those two concepts. And if there's one thing I hate, it's the look of confusion and boredom in uh, an audience member's face when they're watching me on stage and they're thinking, this is not what I thought I was coming out to watch. Right. And if there's one thing I love, it's the opposite. The message from people going... We didn't know what you were going to be like as a comedian, but my God, we really liked you. Yeah. Because I think in my heart of hearts, quizzing's a hobby. It's it's changed my life. But comedy's the heart and soul of who... Stand-up comedy's the heart and soul of who I am as a human being. Yeah. Um, and I would... I would rather I would rather be known as a great comedian than a great quizzer. If, if, if it was such a... If there was a binary choice between the two. Yeah. And so my message always to people is... Just come and see me. If you don't like it, so be it. But just come and see me and leave your pre preconceptions that you've you've uh, have because I've accidentally become famous. Leave those behind, and you'll be a. Uh, very surprised by what you see. Yeah. Um, okay, Paul, it's been such a great chat. Just a few, I, I think you may have answered or given at least some anecdotes that answer some of these anyway, but just a few little pithy ones that we end with. Yeah. So what's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you because of being famous? You've, I mean, you've touched on a lot of things that could be deemed to be embarrassing. My most memorable embarrassing thing was uh, the National TV Awards at the O2. I can't remember whether it was 2014 or 2015, but me and Sean uh, decided that we needed a drink. Yeah. Sean uh, the Dark Destroyer. Sean the Dark Destroyer. And you don't get, you're not allowed a drink during the show. The drink is at the um, showbiz bar post show. Mm. So we went to the public bar thinking, we'll do our bit for selfies and this, that, and the other, engage with the general public. Uh, and there was a long queue to have selfies with us. And about 40 minutes after he joined the queue, this young lad who's about 16, 17 years old um, wants to have his photo taken with me. And so Sean, being a gentleman, says, I'll take the photo. Yeah. And he's got his arm around me and he turns to me and says, I've got an idea. And I'm like, okay. And he says, um, it's like this sauna that you lie in and you're able to watch telly at the same time. <laughs> And it suddenly occurred to me that he thought I was somebody from Dragon's Den. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, do you think I'm someone from Dragon's Den? And he just went, are you not? And I've never seen a man look more brokenhearted. He genuinely had never heard of the chase. <laughs> and he just, and he said, who are you? And I said, the chase. He went, what's that? And I said, the thing he, Sean's on. And he looked at Sean and went, oh. What's and brilliant about that is just how... I, what a coincidence it is that he did pick two people who are on TV 
thinking, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. thinking that you were another person on TV. It was just the, um, yeah, it, 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 was, it was one that I treasured just because I just loved his idea. It's a, well, yeah, it's a sauna just, with a TV in it. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> he'd gone to so much trouble in, in that 30 minutes he was waiting. Got to say something, got to say something. So you know what I really love the idea of, and I'm just, you know, I'm sure this didn't happen, but what if he just went to the National Television Awards in the hope that he'd bump into someone from da Dragon's Den to pitch his idea to? That, that would be amazing. Okay, uh, the best thing about it, nightclubs, like you said. Drinking free drinks. Yeah. Worst thing about it, tabloids. Yep. Uh, and would you give any advice to someone young who says specifically... And we kind of alluded to this at the start, but specifically, not that they want to be successful, but they want to be famous. Would you would you offer them any advice? Psychiatric advice. Psychiatric help. Um, <laughs> it's just a horrific thing to want to be. Yeah. You've got to be. You, if you want to be famous, become famous by doing something really well. Mm -hmm. um, I really, 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 really. Wish I could give you the most embarrassing thing that. Okay, don't uh, don't worry about it. Who's the most famous person in your phone, Paul? <laughs> Brad, Brad Walsh, I think. Unless Andrew Flinters on my phone, but I don't think he is. Freddie would be good, but Bradley is basically on everything. Uh, our final question that we ask everyone: knowing all that it entails, and with the benefit of hindsight, would you give up fame if you had the chance? By which I mean, you still get to you still get your financial security. Uh, you get everything basically other than ever being spotted in the street or people coming up to you saying, I love your work I on the chase. I think I'd be dishonest if I said yes. And that therefore is a very honest but answer. It's it's only it's only a marginal it's only a marginal call. But I think I'd be considering I'm a man that deliberately goes to bars where I think I'm gonna be spotted and have yes. a drink. Yes, that's a good I point. I think it would be it would be very disingenuous. Um in terms of, uh, I wish I could. The things I think I deal with fame reasonably well. So when you say what's the most embarrassing thing, um, it's always other people. There's a drunk guy in Liverpool last a couple of Saturdays ago that genuinely said to me, "You can't be the cinnamon. You're not shaking." <laughs> At which point I just went, "I just went, oh my good god!" I just, I was just so. Sh just, that, that surely just rings your material bells each yeah, time, yeah. like material, material, material. Yeah, um, I know what you mean. But you've never like fallen over in the street and and all the camera phones come out because people are noticing you. But that, like you said, it'll never happen in London anyway because they don't recognise you. There was a time, there was a time when I fell over because I was on a travel agent in an airport. Uh, Not on gladiators, unfortunately. No, no, uh, and I didn't see the end, and I fell over, and someone just said, "Whoa, cinema!" And there was um, an incident the other day when uh, someone had fallen ill on a train. Um, and they needed medical help. <laughs> uh, and I was half asleep. I looked at Oliver and I went, it's been, it's been 13 years since I'm a doctor. And Oliver looked at me, slightly disgusted by my apathy. <laughs> and then I realised it was the next carriage. carriage. Um, and I got up. And I went to see what was going on. People started cheering me. And that was embarrassing. Yeah, that is embarrassing. That was genuinely embarrassing that they genuinely thought that the cinema was a doctor has <laughs> still got the medical skills to be useful in an emergency on a train. I'm really visualising the scene from Airplane where the, the um, stewardess goes up to the Les, the two people, or the person next to Leslie Nielsen and says, well, we're just, we're just wondering, uh, we're looking for someone, for, for, for a doctor. And she goes, oh, I, 
I think the man next to me might be a doctor and he's got his full stethoscope in. Like he's having <laughs> he's got his, you know, he's, oh, it's just fucking hilarious. Anyway, Paul, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything um, you'd like to plug? Where can people go? Uh, what's your website and where can they see you? It's www.paulsinha.com. This year is my mag, well, who knows how many shows I'm going to get with, hmm. with coronavirus about to hit the, well, has hit these shores. But the idea is I'm in Edinburgh, I'm in New Zealand and I'm touring around the country all year. Okay. And I'll I will stay backstage and not breathe in your face, and everything will be fine. Okay, so go to Paul's website to see uh, exactly where and when you can see him perform, or go to the Edinburgh Festival in the summer if it's happening, unless coronavirus has killed us all. Uh, guys, thank you once again for listening to this episode of Almost Famous. Please do subscribe to us if you don't already. Leave us a comment uh, and rate us, and find us on Instagram at Almost Famous the Podcast and on Twitter at Pod Almost Famous. Until next time, thank you again, and uh, we'll see you next time. Cheers. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.